Marketing is global. There is content that needs to be used in multiple situations, in multiple business environments, but most of all in multiple countries. Publishing in multiple languages is a hard task. And today we're talking to somebody that has lived this problem inside a Fortune 500 company and has written a book about it. Welcome to Globally Speaking, your program that explores everything and anything to do with language localization. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting global brands today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. I am Renato Beninato. And I'm Michael Stevens. And today we have an interesting conversation, Renato, don't we? Yes, it's a topic that is very close to us. It's the whole concept of taking content to global markets. We've got a great guest. She's the author of the book, Global Content Marketing. And let's let Pam introduce herself. This is Pam Dinner and Michael and Renato. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Much appreciated. So a little about myself. I worked at Intel, which is a major corporation for about 20 years. And I left Intel, wrote a book about global content marketing. And I know that Michael said that he read the book. Thank you so much. And for this podcast, I would like to talk about global content marketing. And after Intel wrote a book and decided to become a pool author, and here I am. I'm doing, I've been doing a lot of workshops and speaking, and I also take on independent consulting projects. By the way, I can speak Chinese. 大家好,我的名字叫Pam. 我听说... 这个podcast大概有40个percent的人是从这个中国这个login来听的，所以我想跟大家问个好。Okay，very good. So one of the things that many of our listeners don't know is that about 40% of the listeners to globally speaking come from China. So this is why this is very relevant to our guests in in, in China and our listeners in China. And Pam, has your book been translated into Chinese yet? Yes, it has been translated uh, to Chinese. It was translated by University Press, actually. It's very interesting. They translated the title from Global Content Marketing to Chief Content Officer. That's really the name of the book. And because it was translated by Dongnan Dashue Chubanshe, which is Dongnan University Press, so I don't think it's widely displayed in the Chinese bookstores. And I think it's actually online, unfortunately. I can oh, find oh, out more detail. Yeah, <laughs> we, can, we can put a link in the page about this podcast afterwards. Yeah, so people will know where to find you and get in touch with you if they're looking for it and having trouble. So I, it, probably most of your other work stemmed from the research and the work you did related to your book. So let's let's start at the beginning. You make the statement as a marketer or business owner creating content for multiple markets, the first step to globalizing your content is a mindset change. What do you mean by that? Good question. 
what I have noticed at working at a corporation, and I'm speaking from probably on the client side, if you will, for this specific question, is that when a lot of marketers, especially if they reside in headquarters, and they are working very closely, say, with a local team on the ground, they have the tendency, I'm not saying all of them, to tell the locals what to do. Or they will give the information and finished content to the local team and expect them to do something about it. When I say a mindset change is before you even create a piece of content, you need to solicit feedback actually from the local team and understand their needs and incorporate that if possible or if it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. And incorporate that into your content creation. And so rather than sharing a finished piece of content to them and expect them to localize and translate, take their needs up front and incorporate that, proactively incorporating that. And that will help, obviously, the local team tremendously. So that's what I meant by mindset change. We all have a tendency, including myself, when I need to get something done, I want to get it done as quickly as possible so I can check it off. And that's very true. A lot of time on the content creation. And on top of it, we are all under a very pressed deadlines in terms of getting things done. So you need to allow a little bit of lead time and to gather that information from the local teams. And I think it's very critical to do that. We hear stories. We like to hear stories. And, and uh, what, what you have described seems to be a very common problem. It's part of our day-to-day lives. But give me a, an example of something that was done right and how different it was from something that was done in the traditional way without regard to the local markets. Can you think of any situations where everything was done right and you avoided spending more money or you avoided making stupid mistakes or just doing unnecessary work? The case I can think of is when I was working at Intel, and uh, like I said, I like to get things done. So I have a tendency and create something and share that with the local team. Boom, 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 boom. And uh, what I have noticed is a lot of time I share the information or the content with them, they tend to ignore. And they will say, okay, that really doesn't apply. And they will allocate their own local budget and try to create something totally different. So all of a sudden, I create a content that only being used, say, in the U.S. or North America, but really nobody was adapting it. And then they have to create something totally different. All of a sudden, you are spending money on two ends, right? And then, uh, of course, the drawback of gathering the feedback from the local team is the lead time tend to be a whole lot longer. And all of a sudden, I cannot really churn out the content or more content, if you will, on quarterly basis, I end up slowed down and then uh, use the money and use the time to gather their feedback. I create less content, but that's something that local teams can actually use it. At the end, the total cost is less, and also the content usage was actually more at the local level. So I end up creating less but the, the drawback is taking lo- a longer time to actually create content than the local team can use. In this situation, that it works well if it's long-form content, for example, white paper or any content that the local team can leverage. So long-form content, you can do that. 
But in terms of short form content, there are some content from my perspective, it's not necessary. I need to create. I will make sure that local team have a say and autonomous to make a decision what that would be. That's a very good differentiation. I mean, the long form content is more expensive also to create and to generate. And that's where you want to focus the effort and get input from everybody. So today you don't want to be having a meeting to generate a tweet, but you might have a meeting to create a white paper. That's right. The the tweet is kind of interesting too. So the tweets will come into play is when you have a long form content created. So here's the thing about long form content. In the past, you can create a long form content and you can pass that to a local team and you can consider your job done because they will take that, localize it, translate it, whatever is necessary, and they also work on the the promotion side of things. But now when you create long-form content, it's not just long-form content that you create. If you are very, very good and you are very considerate as a headquarter team member, you will do a couple of things. You actually create a kit for that long-form content. What I meant by that is for that long-form content, which is a PDF, let's assume it's a PDF, that you give it to them. You also can create proposed tweets, right? Create like four or five proposed tweets and attach to this long-form content as a part of toolkit. You can also create a couple of the proposed tweets if you use a Facebook or LinkedIn. So you create some sort of copy that a local team can actually leverage. On the top of it, you can also make a suggestions that for this long-form content, what are the couple of things that the local team can do to repurpose and make them a short form content? Can they take a couple of paragraphs that they can write a blog post? Can they take a couple key points that they can do a quick three minute whiteboard drawing video? So you can actually come up with a couple of recommendations and to share with the local team. The local team, they don't necessarily have to adapt it but then give them some ideas what they can do better from syndication and communication and promotions perspective. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, what I see for the headquarter team is not just creating content anymore. It's how to create a kit, like, and tell them that how they can use this long form content a little bit more effectively for different channels. Is that helpful? Absolutely. You're helping guide the process rather than simply dictating it and throwing it over the fence. Yes. That's what it sounds like to me. Yes. And the meat of your book really focuses on the four principles to help guide that process. If I'm connecting the dots here correctly, you talk about the four Ps, and one of the results of that four Ps may be this long-form content kit for people. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. It is more focused on long-form content and also the collaboration between the headquarter and the local team. What are the four Ps? Actually, the four P is very simple and it's not complicated. And if you think about the whole content marketing process, and a lot of the folks who are listening, some of them is actually on the client side, some of you on the agency side, but a lot of them, a lot of you are actually creating content. So it's you have some sort of roadmap, you know what kind of content you need to create. And obviously you create the content and those content that has been created, you cannot just sit there, right? And you need to promote and you need to syndicate the content out to the target audience. And then you have to somehow measure 
the effectiveness of your campaigns. So that's pretty much the whole cycle of content marketing. So I put a structure to it and I call it a four P's, which is plan, produce, promote, and perfect. That's four P's. Plan is to set up a strategy before execution. So earlier I talking about you need to have some sort of roadmap. You need to have some sort of editorial or some sort of topics or some sort of content plans. Yeah. So that's a plan, set of strategy before execution. Produce. Obviously, a lot of you understand it's create content that matters. And promote is to syndicate and distribute content obviously in a digital format, especially if you are doing massive digital marketing and everybody's online. Perfect is measure and optimize and hopefully to drive the impact for your marketing efforts. So that's pretty much your 4P, plan, produce, promote, and perfect. See, not too hard, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward. One thing I heard this week related to perfect from an author was, if the tweet does not repeat, you must delete. <laughs> so <laughs> so if you put content out there that doesn't get shared, like get it out of there. Like it's no good anymore. Yeah, but the, the problem is we cannot, we don't necessarily hit home run every single time when we tweet, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like playing baseball. That's a bad analogy. But you know what I'm talking about. It's just a matter of you have to get the stuff out there and then you have to monitor it. You have to understand what kind of copy or what kind of language that tend to get shared. And if it doesn't get shared, you try to change it or you refine and you optimize it and as you go. And the marketing effort is really a continuous journey, if you will, of optimizing and refining and optimizing and refining. You don't necessarily get like a home run or a massive hit or instant viral from the get-go. It's just a matter of doing it, but be able to track it and monitor it and, and see what you need to change on a regular basis. Yeah, the difference between what we receive now and what may have happened in the past is oftentimes you get instantaneous feedback. You're not even looking at how many times something was downloaded from your site. True. I 100% agree. Yeah, you, you sort of have an audience for a company People either respond or don't, and then you have some data to refine and work on your marketing strategy to go back to that first step that you mentioned, which is plan. Yeah. So you talk about content management cycle. What do you mean by the content management cycle? Is this the four Ps or is there something more to that? Oh, okay. So it ties back to the ability of the marketer to hit their goals, and especially globally. And you have this, this quote that I loved. Content design and experiences all have something in common. All of them are hard to translate into sales figures, even though we all know they're important investments. Can you talk a little bit about that challenge? Because I know a a lot of companies, that's how they choose to budget, how they choose to invest is based upon what has ROI. So how does global content marketing sort of push that conversation forward and be able to say, hey, we were responsible for this? Okay, that's actually a very good question. It's very hard to measure the effectiveness of a content. I'm just going to put that out there. It's hard to do it. Okay, from my perspective, a piece of content, it's kind of like 
a piece of furniture. And I said that in my book. If you buy a $5,000 leather handmade customized sectional sofa, if you put that piece of furniture, which is $5,000, in a warehouse, that's not going to show the impact or the value of that sofa. However, if you put that in a very nice living room, you decorate it with the beautiful lamps and nice accessories and the piece of painting, even though it's a very cheap painting, and uh, but you put the nice things around it, and then all of a sudden, that piece of furniture shows its value. So I always said content is like a piece of furniture. So you need something around it to showcase that effectiveness or the value of the content. So how does that translate? The way that to actually showcase the value of a content is content only shines if they are part of something, okay? Just like that piece of furniture, right? It will only show its value when it's a part of, say, a room that makes sense and is appropriate for that furniture. Content only makes sense or it can shine if they are part of a marketing channels. So the blog post really doesn't mean anything. It was just a blog post. It has to be situated, say, in a fairly nice, well-done website. Or when you promote it, that blog post with a nice image with a little short copy needs to be a very nice, say, email template. And if you want to post it on the Facebook and you want to drive the traffic for people to actually view that blog post, you need to have a nice short copy with the image on the Facebook post. So the content only means something. They are part of the marketing channels. Because of that, you have to negotiate with whoever is working on the email marketing, whoever is doing the social media, whoever is doing the paid media that using your content. You need to understand how they track their effectiveness. Right, the social media managers, probably they have a certain kind of metrics that they are responsible. The email marketing person, that is a certain metrics they are responsible. You need to be part of that metrics. You need to co-own that metrics. So for the content marketer, your job is obviously support them. Then you need to make it very clear to them that you need to co-own that. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a discussion, a negotiation in terms of what is the percentage of your contribution to that effort. Does that make sense? So from my perspective, the only way, and you can tell me, and I, I, I welcome anybody sending me an email and tell me there are other ways to measure the effectiveness of content. Here's a, a question that I have. There is a value chain associated with content. There is content, there is pre-sales content, and there is after-sales content. Pre-sales content is easy. It has all the money. It's marketing. It's attracting the clients. It needs to be beautiful. It's that couch in the living room. But you have a lot of stuff in the warehouse. How do you handle that? How do you make that after-sales support, instructions, how-tos, and things like that global? Because that's where you have to be more efficient in your localization dollars. It's in the after sales because there's very little budget. There's more content, but very little budget there. Yeah, I agree. 
I understand. I understand you are coming from. The post-sales part is actually pretty hard. You are totally right. I mean, including salespeople, they're all focused on before sales, right? Once the sale is closed, you don't talk, you, you, don't, you don't hear from anybody. You don't hear from marketers. You don't hear from the sales team. And it's the, the customer service people that tend to get a hit with all that follow-up they have to do. I don't have a solid answer for you, to be honest. Okay, I don't want to just give you an answer and pretend I know the answer. I don't. For this, I think every company is struggling. They tend to more focus on the uh, the pre-sales and try to get sales close in any way possible. And the post-sale is not something that a lot of companies focus on. And that's why they allocate very little budget and nobody really pay attention to it. The way I would see there are two things, at least I can see, to actually help maybe minimize this issue a little bit, but the trend is there that people are not paying attention to it. Then the challenge is how to you get the management to pay attention to it. For the post sales, any kind of content that you create, I would try to understand on the customer service side, which is in a lot of company, they have a customer services or the, the call centers. And what are they doing to actually support that post sales? And we need to understand what kind of metrics that they actually create and share with the management and understand how they get their budget to actually support the post sales, especially customer services. And I always tell the people who come to my session is you need to understand how the budget flows in your companies because budgets dictate behavior. So can you try to understand when the budget is allocated for post sales, especially on the customer services, how that budget flow and how the metrics is reported back to the management. If yeah, you understand if- that, you can somehow see that for your budget or whatever you are doing and how you can support that better and see if you can pitch to them or as a part of that organization to actually elevate your concern. So yeah, that's this one. Is- the very key point there. I liked what you just said because I like to summarize that and say, follow the content and follow the money. Yep. If, you, if you know who creates the content, you know who pays for it. Yep. <laughs> and then exactly. you can exert influence in that process. This podcast was produced by Burns360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, brought to you by Moravia. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.